right, ladies and gentlemen, you are locked on Falcons. I am your host, Aaron Freeman. And today is an analytics Tuesday where we'll be looking at the PFF grades as well as talking about whether rookie tight end Kyle Pitts is poised to break the record of Mike Dicka set 50 years ago for a rookie tight end this upcoming weekend now that he's dealing with a hamstring. You are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me, I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at Falcfans.com, RIP. Still going strong on Twitter, at Falcfans. And, of course, the host of this preeminent Locked On Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. And of course, we always thank you for making Lockdown Falcons your first listen each and every day. Of course, Lockdown Falcons is free and available on a variety of podcast platforms, including Apple, Odyssey, Google, and Spotify, as well as now free and available on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to the Locked On Falcons YouTube channel. So today's episode is an analytics Tuesday. I will be having a guest on tomorrow's episode as opposed to today's episode due to scheduling. Uh, so we will do what we have done several times over the last what six weeks or so when we haven't had a guest on, uh, you know, for Tuesday's episodes uh, where, you know, I will sit here and go through the pro football focus grades and, and sort of talk about the things that jump out to me. And that will cause us once again to go back and revisit the offensive line. Yes, we will take a, quick trip to Caleb McGarry Island, but we'll also be talking about Chris Lindstrom and how he had a bounce back performance against this Buffalo Bills team in week 17. We'll talk about AJ Terrell's uh, time as a shadow corner to seeing that for the first time this season against this Bills team and talk about his PFF grades as well. But we'll start things off talking not about PFF grades, but we'll talk about Kyle Pitts uh, and the fact that Kyle Pitts is poised potentially in week 18 against the New Orleans Saints to break Mike Ditka's all-time record for most receiving yards for a rookie tight end set 50 years ago. And, uh, you know, Kyle Pitts is dealing with some injury issues. And so let's jump into whether or not Kyle Pitts is going to break that record. Uh, we didn't talk about this on yesterday's episode. Um, but, yeah, Kyle Pitts now – uh, with his team leading 69 yards, receiving on two catches against Buffalo uh, in the first half of that game. He's over a 1,000 yards receiving this season. He's now 59 yards away from eclipsing that record set by Mike Ditka way back in 1961 for most receiving yards. And, you know, where he's at right now is a great accomplishment. He's already surpassed Julio Jones in terms of rookie pass catchers, in a Falcons uniform in a, in a single season for most yards receiving. He's already surpassed Tony Gonzalez, Hall of Famer, Tony Gonzalez for the most receiving yards for any tight end, rookie or veteran, uh, in a Falcons uniform. Uh, and, you know, he has an opportunity to get the, the record this week, uh, but it's going to be a question of whether he'll get that because he's dealing with that hamstring injury that he suffered late in the second quarter uh, against the Bills. And call me Mr. Pessimism, although I prefer the term Mr. Skepticism. Mr. Pessimism is my father. Uh, but Mr. Skepticism, uh, you know, I, 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 I'm that way because of what Arthur Smith kind of said on Monday in his uh, media press conference when talking about Kyle Pitts' status. And, he, you know, he's the usual Arthur Smith way. 
he's vague about injury information. You know, on Sunday, when people ask him questions, uh, any updates on the injury, I'll give you an update on Monday. And then when Monday comes, he doesn't give you any updates. Uh, you know, I, I see what's up, what you're up to, Arthur Smith. But like he basically said he's not ruling him out today for later this week, which doesn't sound particularly optimistic about his status for Sunday. If it was just like a minor hamstring tweak, you would think he'd be like, oh, maybe he's day to day or something like that. And we'll, we'll give you an update later in the week or whatever the case may be. But it, it seemed like at least from my eyes or my ears, I guess you could say uh, that that sounds like he's doubtful to play. You know, he's going to be listed as questionable going into the week and we'll obviously have to monitor it as the week goes by, but we know that hamstring injuries are notorious for not being things that are quick to heal. Obviously we've experienced that Titans fans have experienced that over the last two years with Julio Jones. Uh, so we'll, we'll just have to sort of see what Pitts' status is later on this week. Um, but it, it seems like to me again, because I'm Mr. Skepticism, you know, it seems like we might have to settle for Kyle Pitts being second best when it comes to breaking that record. And, you know, a lot of people are going to sit here and say, well, you know, Dick did it in, in 14 games. And of course he did because he went to Pitt. He's the greatest institution on the, on the face of the planet. And, you know, Pitt just produces nothing but Hall of Famers. Go ahead, look it up. It's true. <laughs> um, but like, you know, of course Dick did it at some unprecedented level because he went to Pitt, you, you know, it's Hall of Famer. Um, but like I, I sit here and say, like, who cares how many games it took Dicka to do it? The fact of the matter is that Kyle Pitts sitting here with 1,018 yards is significantly more than any other tight end has produced as a rookie in 16 games, right? And the, the NFL has been playing 16 game seasons for what 43 years. So you have my permission to continue to refer to the season that Kyle Pitts has this season, whether he breaks Dicka's record or not as a historic season, because it is historic. It's the best season that a rookie tight end has had in 43 years. If that doesn't fit the definition of historic, I don't know what does. Uh, you know, we're just basically asking the question, do we add another, you know, 20 years to that uh, to get back to Dicka? But, you know, I, I think I say that because I know some of you, and I've talked to some of you recently that are still sort of on the fence about the whole notion of whether or not Kyle Pitts was a good pick. And, my first response to that is, you know, don't get too caught up in whether trying to decide whether a player is a good pick 16 games or even six games into their career. I don't think that's generally a good decision. Time obviously will tell on all these issues and we'll better have more information on that a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. But I, I do bring this up because we're now at the end of this season and we're about to enter a new season, which is draft season. And I know so many of you guys get super draft assesses and you do the thing despite all the things I say, and you'll build up this draft pick, this number one draft selection that's coming up in a couple of months to be the end all be all. If the Falcons just draft this one player, it's going to save everything. And I said it last year when it was talking about pits, when it was talking about fields, don't get too caught up in this one pick determining the fate of this regime. It's one out of 20 or so picks that this regime uh, is potentially going to make. And the collective whole of all 20 of those picks will determine the fate of this franchise moving forward for the next five to 10 years, rather than this one pick. So I, I have to stress that because I know you guys are going to get in your pre-draft frenzy as you do. You're not going to hear this. Most of this, what I'm saying right now is going to fall on deaf ears again, but I'm hoping that maybe I reach a few of you guys to not put so much stock into this one draft selection and not to try to sit here and say, based off of Kyle Pitts' rookie season, historic or not, that whether or not 
this is going to be the, the, the draft pick that, you know, changes the fate and decides, you know, the, the leads the Falcons to, you know, salvation or, or frustration, as I think a lot of you tend to do. And the example I used last year when I was talking about this exact subject was Aaron Donald. Now, you know, Aaron Donald is inarguably the best defensive player in the NFL. It's been that way for five years running. So there's no doubt that anybody questions Aaron Donald's impact on the team. That's evidenced by the fact that if you look at football outsiders, uh, defensive DVO rankings, the Rams have consistently had one of the best defenses in the league ever since Aaron Donald entered the league in 2014. So six out of the last eight years, the Rams have had a top 10 defense according to DVOA. You compare that to the previous eight years without Aaron Donald, they only finished in the top 10 twice. Uh, in those two outlier seasons where they had Donald and didn't finish in the top 10 were 2016-2018. Their defense finished 17th and 16th, respectively. But the thing I noted when I went back and looked at those years was that, you know, you can make a, a pretty strong argument that the reason why their defense took a dip in those years was because their secondary was not as good in those years as it had been in other years. Um, and you can also look at this current season for the Rams and the defensive improvement they've shown in the second half. And obviously, Von Miller certainly has an impact on that. You could maybe even argue he has the most impact on that. But, you know, I've also noticed that, you know, you look at some of the stuff, uh, particularly the PFF grades that we'll get into later talking about this Falcons team. But it, it seems like every, you know, or several uh, of the defensive backs not named Jalen Ramsey have had market improvements in their game over the last you know, six to eight games or whatever the case has been. Um, and so, you know, you can take that information and say, hey, does that mean that it's better to build back the front? Because even with a dominant player like Aaron Donald, uh, even the, the Rams' fate seems to be decided by their secondary play. I mean, that's one way to interpret that information. But the larger point, however you interpret that information, is that, you know, even the world's best player, is not the end all be all. And it still takes the other 10 guys that play beside him, you know, to make a meaningful impact on in, in this game. And so you, you can make the argument that the other 10 guys collectively make even a bigger impact than that one guy does that. That's the larger point. It's to prove this point that don't get too wrapped up in the saviors or the scapegoats. When it comes to one player, uh, stop building up these draft picks to be those things. Um, whether we're talking about Aaron Donald, Kyle Pitts, Justin Fields, or whoever. Um, and even to me, as someone who's been a big critic of Jalen Mayfield, and some of you may think I, I make Jalen Mayfield out to be a scapegoat. And, uh, you know, I bring up Jalen Mayfield because we're going to talk about the offensive line coming up on today when we get into the analytics portion of today's episode. But I bring that up not because I think, oh, Jalen Mayfield's a scapegoat, and if we upgrade the left guard position, all of our, you know, our offensive line will suddenly be good. No, I, I sit here and think if we upgrade the offensive line, the left guard position, then our offensive line probably will be 20% better because it's one out of five spots that we've upgraded. It doesn't mean that the other spots are, are automatically going to get better. And then the offensive line improves by, you know, 30 or 40% is probably because other players like Matt Hennessy, Caleb McGarry, or whoever else got better or the Falcons upgraded those spots as well. It, it, it's just, you, if you're solving the left guard position, you're solving one problem. And if you need to solve other problems, you need to solve those other problems. Ideally, you can solve, you know, three or four or more problems, uh, particularly when it comes to the offensive line. But one guy who isn't a problem, that's Chris Lindstrom. And we'll talk about his rebound performance uh, coming up on the podcast. And we'll also take a quick trip to Caleb McGarry, but not in terms of talking about Caleb McGarry, or at least we'll talk a little bit about Caleb McGarry's pass blocking. But we'll talk a lot about Caleb McGarry's improved run blocking, and maybe that holds a key um, to things moving forward. So we'll get into that. Um, but, 
you know, in addition to talking about that, let's talk about ways that you can save money at the pump. I know many of you were traveling this holiday season and you spent a lot of money on gas. Those of you that live in and around the city of Atlanta, you know how atrocious, atrocious that traffic is and how much money you burn filling up the tank each and every day. So why not get some cash back so that you can save at the pump? You now can with a new app called Get Upside. It's a free app. When you open a free account at Get Upside, you get 25 cents back per gallon every time you fill up. Over time, that kind of savings can start to add up. Some people make as much as two to three hundred dollars a month in cash back with Get Upside. That's two hundred three hundred dollars that you can put directly into your bank account. You can use PayPal. I like to use and transfer Get Upside money cash back into Amazon gift cards. And now, when you open an account and use our special promo code Touchdown, you'll get an additional twenty five cents back per gallon. That's a bonus twenty five cents back per gallon on your first fill up. That's up to 50 cents back per gallon. So don't pay full price at the pump anymore. Download the free Get Upside app available on the App Store or Google Play and use that promo code touchdown when you sign up. That's Get Upside promo code touchdown to start saving every time you fill up. So let's get into the Analytics Tuesday portion of today's episode and let's talk about Chris Lindstrom, who is the highest graded player on the Falcons offense, according to PFF this week with an 86.8 grade. And it was nice to see a, a bounce back performance for Chris Lindstrom. We've talked about in recent games where Chris Lindstrom has had a, a subpar stretch of games, starting with that week 13 game against the Bucks, where he struggled, particularly in pass protection. And if you look at this season based off of PFF's charting, Chris Lindstrom has been credited overall this season with 30 pressures allowed this year, but over half of them, 16 of which came in a four game stretch, starting with that Bucks game, the Panthers, the 49ers and Lions games. And you also look at the amount of quarterback hits he's given up this year, eight of which, and five of them also came during that four game stretch. So it was a rough four game stretch. As far as Chris Lindstrom goes in terms of pass protection, we've talked a little bit about, you know, speculating on what reasons could have been behind that. We also know uh, come to find out that he's suffered a recent uh, tragedy uh, in his life. Uh, involving the death of his mother. I don't want, again, I don't think it's fair to, to speculate as whether or not that had an impact on his performance or whatever the case may be. So I'll leave that alone, but it's certainly good to see Chris Lindstrom looking like the Chris Lindstrom uh, in this bills game that we saw for the first 12 weeks of the season and, and playing like an elite guard that was very deserving of, of playing of being voted to the pro bowl this year. Uh, so good to see him. We'll see what he does later this week. You know, Speaking of PFF grades on the offensive line, guess who graded out as one of the three best offensive tackles in week 17 in terms of run blocking? Yes, we're going back to the old decrepit vacation home at Caleb McGarry Island. Caleb McGarry earned a 92.4 run blocking grade, a.k.a. an elite grade against this Bills team. He also earned a 52.5 pass blocking grade, which is far from elite, very much below average uh, in that regard. He finished third on the team in terms of pass blocking grades against the Bills. But, you know, given the struggles that the Falcons offensive line had against this Bills team, they gave up 53% pressure on Matt Ryan's dropbacks, which was the highest of any team so far in week 17. Obviously, we got one more game to play on Monday Night Football as of this recording. Um, and so, you know, Jake Matthews, Jalen Mayfield, Matt Hennessy, and Caleb McGarry all struggled in pass protection. Chris Lindstrom was the only one that graded out well in pass protection. Uh, McGarry, uh, while he was top three in run blocking grade this year, he was like bottom five in pass blocking grades. 
but again, you know, Jake Matthews uh, was also pretty low. He was, you know, McGarry was 57th out of 61 offensive tackles this weekend. Uh, Jake Matthews was 52nd out of 61. So bottom 10. Uh, and Caleb McGarry's bottom five. So it's interesting when you look at, when you compare those two, and the reason why we're comparing those two, obviously we know Jake Matthews is much better pass blocker than Caleb McGarry was, but it's interesting because you look at McGarry's raw stats and he gave, he was credited by PFF giving up two sacks and two hurries while uh, Jake Matthews was only giving up two hurries. So why is there only a, a marginal difference between the two grades? And I think in part because PFF probably didn't kill Caleb McGarry for at least one of those sacks. I don't know about the other ones, um, but at least one of those sacks, he probably was not given a particularly poor, poor grade on that play, even though he was rightfully credited with giving up the sack. We're talking about that Greg Russo sack strip that happened at the end of the first quarter um, where Russo was able to loop around Caleb McGarry, but McGarry kind of did the right thing by, you know, forcing that speed rush to go wide around the pocket and behind the quarterback, where generally speaking, you're coached. If you're a pass rusher, you, you're not able to make a play. If you're behind the quarterback, you need to be at least in front of the quarterback or, you know, on the quarterback or between him and, and where the receiver is to make a play on the football. Um, but Rousseau was able to continue wide around the pocket and chase down Matt Ryan from behind, resulting in that sack strip, uh, largely due to Matt Ryan not having a clear path to step up in the pocket due to the pressure allowed from Jalen Mayfield on that particular play where he was beat by Harrison Phillips, who I think finished this game with like five or six pressures, a team high for the Bills. And Harrison Phillips is not necessarily known for being a prolific pass rusher. Uh, and so that was reflected in Jalen Mayfield's grade um, where he was given a pass blocking grade of eight, not 80, eight by PFF, which was without a doubt the lowest of any NFL player in week 17. And uh, I would be surprised if someone uh, eclipses that on Monday night. So, you know, we're not picking on Jalen Mayfield at this point in time because we, you know, everything that has been said or could be said about Jalen Mayfield has been said at this point in time. Um, but it is notable that you, you see another one of these extremely low graded games from Jalen Mayfield again against the Bills. And he's had, when you look at sort of graded games, when you compare Jalen Mayfield to Caleb McGarry, Caleb McGarry has had three games where his pass blocking grade has been below 40. And 40 is basically where you, at least based off of PFF's grade, where you go from orange to red. So anything below 40 is bad, right? We would say, Um, you know, McGarry's had three of those games this season. Jalen Mayfield's had now eight with Buffalo being his eighth game. Uh, and then you have like three more games where it's very orange, where he's below 50, which again is is below well below average. Caleb McGarry's had three games where he's graded out in the 40, so below 50. But what's interesting in contrast to these poor pass blocking performances, Caleb McGarry has graded out really well as a run blocker these last six or so games based off PFF's grades, you know, dating back to that week 12 game, you know, taken as a whole, these last six games collectively compared to other run tackles in the NFL, he has graded out according to them as the second best run blocking tackle in the NFL behind the Falcons legend, Tom Compton, uh, who is now the starting right tackle for the 49ers ahead, barely ahead of Trent Williams, the starting left tackle for the 49ers, who's been, you know, a dominant run blocker throughout the season. And that's largely owed to, you know, two elite games from Caleb McGarry this week. And also the Carolina game we noted after that Carolina game, how well Caleb McGarry blocked in that game. Uh, we'll see what the film says with Caleb McGarry's performance uh, this week. As I've noted several times on the podcast, when we've talked a little bit about Matt Hennessy's high run blocking grades, I don't always necessarily agree with PFF's 
assessment of who's you know playing at a high level as a run blocker. We talked about this with Jalen Mayfield having a super high run blocking grading. I think with that Dallas game uh, for basically garbage time production or whatever the case may be. Um, so it, it's always a little wonky looking at some of these run blocking grades. So we'll, we'll double check the film to sort of see how it goes. And one of the projects I, I do plan on doing after the end of, uh, of the season is to go back through all the run blocking snaps and, and grade the offensive line by myself. And maybe I'll come away thinking, Oh, like PFF got it right. Or maybe I'll come back and think, Oh, PFF got it very, very wrong. I generally don't give PFF a hard time when it comes to the, the pass protection and the pass rushing stuff, because I learned like back in 2018 when I was, you know, keeping a tab on that stuff that where I sort of put various Falcon players on, on sort of my own charting of, of pressures and, and sacks and, and all that stuff uh, was pretty much, you know, one or two off where PFF had. So I generally sort of assume that they're pretty spot on on that because the past has told me that our perspectives on that are not too dissimilar. So I, I generally trust their um, pass rushing stuff and, and pass protection stuff uh, more so than anything else. But speaking of the run blocking success that Caleb McGarry has, let's talk a little bit about the run blocking success the team had, uh, because usually on the rapid reaction episodes, I talk about the team's success running left or running right, because, you know, that's been a running gag on the show, I guess you could say, uh, you know, talking about they run too much to the left or whatever the case may be. I didn't talk about it on, on yesterday's rapid reaction. So let's talk about it now. Uh, it's analytics Tuesday after all. Uh, so let's talk about some stats. So the Falcons wound up against Buffalo running 20 designed runs. They ran nine times to the left, eight times up the middle, and three times to the right. Their success rate overall in those 20 design runs was 70%. So again, that's one of the reasons I forgot what grade I gave the running offense, but it, it was a high grade, right? It was like a B or an A or something like that, something high. Um, and, and that's why, because they were effectively able to run the football in this game. But running to the left, their success rate was 44%, which is solid, but not, you know, incredible. Running up the middle, it was 88% on those eight runs up the middle. And for the three times they ran to the right, it was 100% success rate. And that probably is partially owed to why Caleb McGarry's run blocking grade was so high. Because when they ran behind him, seemingly, the rare times that they did that in this game, it, it seemed like he must have been nailing his blocks or whatever the case may be. So we'll we'll sort of see how that fares when I, I watch the film. So got a couple more interesting nuggets, two more to talk about on today's Analytics Tuesday episode. We're going to be talking about A.J. Terrell being utilized as a shadow corner. We'll get into that as well as we'll, uh, you know, another nugget is this weekend's Falcon Saints game has been moved to a 425 kickoff now. And that's now simultaneous with the Rams 49ers game that could also potentially have an impact on the Saints playoff fortunes now that we know the Falcons are no longer in the playoff mix. And so the Saints fortunes are tied to the outcome of both of those games. Uh, they have to beat the Falcons, which they're favored by four and a half points over. Then they also need the 49ers to lose and the 49ers are five point underdogs to the Rams. And yet the 49ers are underdogs to a team that they've beaten five straight times. So will they make that six or will the Rams finally get that Kyle Shanahan size monkey off their back? You decide, but whatever you decide, make sure you head over to betonline.ag, the number one spot for all your sports betting action all season long. You can bet on those two games. You can also bet on the national championship game where Georgia is a three point favorite over Alabama, but it's not just NFL and college football. It's NBA, NHL, boxing, UFC, all the way to your favorite Vegas casino games. Head over right now to betonline.ag. And sign up with the promo code locked on, and you'll get a 
50% welcome bonus. That means if you deposit 300 bucks, you get $150 in free money to play with and bet on whatever games you like. So don't wait and take advantage of all the amazing offers available at bet online where the game starts. So before we talk about AJ Terrell's, you know, first game of the 2021 season of the 2022 calendar year, as a shadow corner, I do want to remind you in addition to heading over to betonline.ag, make sure you go check out the Locked on Bulldogs podcast to get the updates on all the things going on in that national championship game. Of course, Locked on Bulldogs should be your second listen because we all know that Locked on Falcons is your first listen. And of course, Locked on Bulldogs is free and available on all the same podcast platforms. You can find Locked on Falcons, including on YouTube. So go check out Locked on Bulldogs. So AJ Terrell finished this Buffalo Bills game with one of his lowest graded games of the season. According to PFF, he gained a 60.3 overall grade and a 51.3 coverage grade, which was in fact the lowest coverage grade he's earned so far this season. And, you know, maybe some of that's tied to the fact that he was being asked to shadow uh, Stefan Diggs. Uh, according to PFF, all of AJ Terrell's targets found himself in coverage against Stefan Diggs. And when targeted five times covering Stefan Diggs, Diggs caught three passes for 24 yards, had no yards after catch, had two first downs. Terrell did break up one pass and Diggs did drop one of those passes. And when you look at Diggs against everybody else that was asked to cover him throughout the game, um, Diggs caught two of four targets for 24 yards, had 10 yards after catch and had two first downs. So it's interesting to see uh, you know, PFF ding AJ Terrell in that manner. Again, I'll double check when I watch the film, but also looking at the PFF pre-snap positional charting, uh, Terrell, it's notable how you can tell Terrell was shadowing Diggs quite a bit was how often he was being moved all over the formation, right? Traditionally, we have seen AJ Terrell park himself at that left cornerback spot. And if you look prior to this week, 93% of his snaps as a cornerback uh, have spent been spent out wide at the left cornerback position this week. It was only about 54% of his snaps, uh, you know, uh, against Buffalo, AJ Terrell spent 26% of his snaps at the right cornerback spot. But prior to this week, it was less than 1%. It's like 0.5% or 0.3% or something like that uh, of his snaps playing on the right outside cornerback spot. And he spent more time in the slot this week as well. Shadowing, uh, Stefan Diggs, 20% of his snaps against Buffalo came in the slot, uh, while 7% uh, in the first, you know, 16 weeks of the regular season uh, have been in the slot. So I'll obviously do my own charting when I do the film. Um, and unlike pass rushing and pass protection, historically speaking, I, I'm not always keen on PFFs charting when it comes to coverage responsibilities. I, I think they can that's probably the wonkiest thing that they do. So generally I won't sit here and say, don't pay any attention to their um, coverage grades. Cause obviously if you don't, if you do that, then you'll think AJ Terrell has been bad this year. Uh, Cause he's, his, their coverage grades say he's been the best in the league and he's been outstanding this year. And, and I, I thought he played really well watching the game live against Stefan Diggs. We'll see what the film says. Uh, he, you know, he got beat a couple of times, but you know, that's the job. Um, and it certainly was not like to the same degree that guys like, Mike Evans and Mike Thomas were beating him last year. So we'll see what happens when I, when I rewatch the film. But um, one of the things that I, I will do when we do our year in positional reviews, when we get to the cornerback position, which at this rate, probably at the very end of January, the very beginning of February, we'll see how it goes. 
but I'll, I'll look at Terrell's overall numbers and we'll, we'll break down sort of what my charting says for Terrell's numbers. And we'll maybe potentially compare that to PFF's numbers to sort of see how, how different they are. Cause I've been charting defenses since 2019. Um, so I have that information at my beck and call, um, but it was surprising to me that the Falcons decided to make AJ Terrell a shadow corner this week of all weeks, given all the turnover that they had due to the injury to Fabian Moreau due to Richie Grant missing the entire week of practice. Richie Grant did play on Sunday, but played only a few snaps uh, in the nickel or whatever the case may be. Um, And so it was interesting for the Falcons to make that choice to go with AJ Terrell being a shadow corner because, you know, as Dean Pease has noted several times when asked this question over the last, what, you know, nine months or 12 months that he's been um, the DC here is that when you use one player to shadow a guy, um, that means everybody else, at least at the cornerback position is also going to have to shadow somebody. Uh, And so it's not just one guy shadowing, it's three guys shadowing and you have to feel pretty good about all three of those guys shadowing. and, And given that, you know, Darren Hall is a rookie and has been up and down as a rookie and, and, and arguably their second most effective slot corner uh, behind Richie Grant. Um, and then Kendall Sheffield was basically getting his first real action of the season um, on defense this week as, as the right corner opposite uh, AJ Terrell. It, it felt interesting that the Falcons chose to go in that direction um, to, to throw that out there. Now, Kendall Sheffield is no, stranger to shadow coverage because he did that a lot last year, particularly in those games last year where the Falcons did use AJ Terrell to shadow the other team's number one. And Kendall Sheffield was often responsible for that number two uh, throughout the season last year. So it's not like something new to him, but you do wonder given all the moving parts that you had in the secondary, that Dean Pease was making a fairly bold choice to go in that direction. Typically in those situations where you have all these moving parts, you kind of want to dumb things down. And that was reflected in the Falcons playing, uh, you know, quite a bit of man coverage. Uh, you know, we'll we'll see what the film says exactly what that number is. Um, but it, it was up compared to the last three weeks. We talked about that on a previous All-22 review, how much the Falcons had been relying on zone coverage uh, in recent weeks. And they were playing a lot more man coverage compared to the last three weeks, uh, at least based off of PFF numbers. Um, and, you know, you, you, that's usually a sign of, of teams dumbing things down. But, like, Shadowing means that you're throwing an extra wrinkle into that because now you got guys flip-flopping sides, potentially every other snap or whatever the case may be. And so you're not just basically like cover this one guy. You also have to cover this one guy on this side of the field. And you might have a slightly different responsibility, particularly if you're going to disguise and and show man coverage pre-snap, but then actually play zone uh, after, you know, the ball snapped or whatever is something that, you know, uh, Dean Peace has often done when we go back and we look at some of those plays where AJ Terrell has moved from the left side of the field. It has been for that reason where the Falcons are making it seem like, oh, AJ Terrell's lined up in slot. AJ Terrell's lined up at the right cornerback spot. They're definitely playing man coverage. And then the Falcons aren't playing man coverage. So that has been some, a, a frequent wink, wrinkle that Dean Pease has utilized this week or throughout the season. And so it was just interesting that he made that choice uh, for the Falcons to do that. But, you know, I'm not complaining about it. Obviously I think it was fairly effective at keeping Stefan Diggs in check. And it wasn't as if like other guys in the, or, you know, did I miss something? It wasn't like other guys really dominated the game, but you know, part of that is owed to the bills basically abandoning the run in the second half. So maybe it would have been different had the Bills stuck with that. Um, but, you know, the, the Falcons were able to be effective in that. Um, but it was interesting. This, and again, this is what we'll see what the film says 
when I watch it myself, but it's interesting to see how much PFF dinged him for his man coverage. And that was one of the reasons why his grade was so low because their grade for him when he was in man coverage was 28.9. So they gave him a really bad grade. And again, watching the game live, it, it didn't reflect that. So I'll, I'll be curious to see if there's some stuff on the film that shows up that I'm like, oh, this is why PFF dinged them or whatever the case may be. So that'll be interesting to see. And that will uh, be the last interesting thing we bring up on today's Analytics Tuesday episode of the podcast. Tomorrow, we will have Tori McElhaney of AtlantaFalcons.com uh, as our first guest of 2022. We got to ring in the new year in a great way by bringing Tori back on the show. And Tori will be talking with us about this Bills game as well as this season you know, this final week of the season. So we'll get her thoughts on that. So that means we won't be doing the usual all 22 review and Q and a for tomorrow on, um, we'll probably punt the Q and a till Friday, like we did last week, as far as the all 22 review, if there's something really pressing that I I'm dying to talk about, we can potentially talk about that on Friday. Obviously Thursday will be the crossover with Ross Jackson of locked on saints to preview this week, 18 matchup. But if there isn't anything that I'm dying to talk about, uh, from the the Bills Week 17 film, you know, we can potentially punt that uh, and, and maybe roll that into, you know, potentially the All-22 review for the Saints game or whatever and, and compare, compare and contrast, you know, what the film against the Bills showed and, and what the film against the Saints showed. But uh, talked about some of those issues potentially that I'll be paying attention to. So if I discover anything, you know, about A.J. Terrell or the offensive line or anything like that, I will certainly, you know, bring it up on Friday's episode. But if you want to send in your questions to be answered on Friday's episode, because we will be doing the Q&A at that point in time. Of course, you can do so by hitting me up on Twitter at Lockdown Falcons, on Facebook at Lockdown Falcons. You can send an email to LockdownFalcons at mail.com, or you can leave a comment here on the Lockdown Falcons YouTube channel. And, uh, you know, that's going to do it for us here on Lockdown Falcons. But that doesn't mean that you don't have to check out another show in addition to Lockdown Falcons for your second listen of the day, whether that's Lockdown Bulldogs, Lockdown Hawks, or Lockdown Braves. But also make sure you check out Locked On Bets, where handicapping expert Lee Sterling is giving you his daily picks, his blowout specials, and of course, Lee's lock of the day to help you get some extra money in your pocket when you go visit betonline.ag and use that promo code Locked On for that 50% welcome bonus. So check out Locked On Bets because Lee's giving you those daily picks, whatnot to put money in your pocket. Uh, that money, in, in addition to the money that's going to go in your pocket when you sign up for the Get Upside ad. Oh, we're. we're you know, it's uh, what's it? What's it called? Um, it's an S word. I can't think of the word. We're we're all cohesive. Whatever that word is, I'm blanking on it. Sorry, guys. Don't don't try to be clever live on at the end of a podcast when your brain is is dying from spending the last 35 minutes talking. So <laughs> whatever that word is, you guys know what you're yelling at your phone. Um, uh, and I'll I'll think of it the minute I go off the air. Uh, but <laughs> um, you know, go sign up for all those things basically. And listen to lockdown bets is basically the point I was trying to make. So go check that out guys. Appreciate it. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with Tori McElhaney of Atlanta Falcons.com. Appreciate it till then. Synergy. That's the word I was looking for. Came to me about 30 minutes after I finished recording. And I can uh, say that on the, the audio version of the podcast that I could not say live on the video version of the podcast. So there you go. Synergy. That's the word I was looking for.